This is the Sports Psychology Podcast with Michael Seeley. This episode is all about the psychology of cheating in sports. How does it happen? Why does it happen? From the infamous doping of the U.S. Postal Team and Lance Armstrong to the congressional hearings on steroids and baseball to deflate gate with the Patriots and Tom Brady back in 2014 to the more egregious things like Tanya Harding um, having Nancy Kerrigan attacked, uh, figure skating a scandal back in 1994. History is full of incidents of cheating in sports, egregious, not so egregious, lying, cover-ups. So I'm recording this about a week after the 2022 Tour de France, and I was musing about how exciting this year's Tour de France was, and then thinking about the average speed of this year's Tour, which is one of the fastest in history, 42 kilometers per hour, and can't help but think about doping and cheating and things like this. And I don't know if it went on in this year's Tour, that's above my pay grade, but I do know that cheating in sports does happen, and I do know that good people do it. When I say good people, I mean people who are basically morally good and aren't out to go hurt other people. They're sociopaths, but they are caught cheating or they engage in cheating or doping or any of these kinds of things. So it got me thinking, reflecting on the psychology behind that. What would get someone who's basically a good person to involve themselves in cheating or doping or things like this? And so I did some inward reflection and thought about back in my cycling career of times maybe when I was tempted to cheat or actually did cheat. So I'm going to come forward and come out with a confession. Not a big deal. There was, back in 1988, I'll date myself here, uh, this is when aerodynamics were really coming into play in, in cycling, especially in time trials. And my local club in Madison, Wisconsin, was having weekly time trial competitions, 10-mile time trials. And week after week, we were breaking the record because we had new equipment and the, the fastest riders around were coming to it and showing up. And it was really a lot of fun trying to break the, the records week after week. And I remember one week, there was it was an out-and-back course, so there was a turnaround at the end of the five-mile, and we had to come back. This is just south of Madison, Wisconsin, in a little town called Paoli. So anyone listening right now knows how great this course was. It was flat, it was fast, it was a great course. At the time, there was a turnaround, and I remember coming into the turnaround, feeling just frustrated that I had to slam my brakes on and go into this turnaround, and something clicked in me, and I turned around early, um, probably about maybe an eighth of a mile early, a couple hundred feet. I don't remember exactly, but I know it was significant enough. And my rationale was, oh, there's some gravel in the turnaround. I shouldn't have to turn around. I don't know, it was just something that clicked in me because I was feeling like I really wanted to break the new record. And so I charged in, I went, you know, as far, you know, as hard as I could, finished the event, broke the course record, and something just felt hollow in me in doing that. And one of my my friends at the time, another cyclist was on the course and witnessed me do it. And he sort of gave me this look afterwards, kind of like hey, bro, I got your back. Like, I'm not going to tell. Like, that kind of a look. And that made me feel bad, too. And so 
I went home and I just didn't feel right with myself. And so I ended up calling the, the race promoter, the club organizer. And I just confessed. It's like, hey, you know, I turned around early. And so it just, you know, I was X'd off of the records for that particular week. Like I just, uh, there's like a footnote saying that, you know, Mike Seeley, um, time didn't count, you know, turned around too early. Um, so he didn't go so far to say like, hey, he cheated intentionally. <laughs> But, you know, it was, it got me reflecting on the psychology of cheating and why at that moment I felt compelled to do it. It was against my moral character, but I just, I did it anyway. And, you know, it took me some time afterwards, you know, riding my bike home to decide whether I should or should not confess because my friend basically was going to keep it secret for me. And it got me thinking about what makes people cheat. And for me, the motivator was just this drive to win, like competitiveness. Like I really wanted to win and more in the result to like to see my, see my numbers, like really, really low, low numbers and, and beat some people I was really competitive against. Like that was just at the top of my mind. And that's okay in sports to, to be that competitive. But I, I noticed what, what draw me, what drew me in that direction of breaking my own principles. And so that got me thinking about how is it that cheating can go on in sports for so long and be unnoticed or not reported? And it got me thinking about that sort of gentleman's agreement when my friend looked at me and said like, hey man, I'm not, I'm not going to be a snitch, you know? And I think that's a big part of it is just this sort of brotherhood or sisterhood of, you know, not ratting on your friend. I think that's a big, big part of it. And that's a strong social bond. Like, hey, we're in this together. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to snitch. That is a really sort of a bonding experience that can keep a secret airtight. Um, and again, so it's this competitiveness, um, that bond of, of keeping a secret. And then just generally speaking, um, peer group social norms. So Peer group social norms vary across the world in different cultures. And, you know, the extreme cases, you can see groups of people doing just horrible things as long as everybody else is doing it. Um, it becomes accepted. And thankfully, there's not too many of those groups, but it does happen. And it becomes normalized. We see this throughout history. So there's some extreme examples. Uh, so it just got me thinking, again, musing on how fast the Tour de France was and how good people, I would say, can cheat in sports. Me sort of confessing here on this podcast of my very sort of minuscule, <laughs> low-grade cheating at a, a club time trial. Uh, but I think we do have to turn inward, look in the mirror, and understand how people can do it. Um, it is, it's possible. I think that it's this type of rationalization and it comes from when we get away from the principles of sports. So that if, if sport is about just winning, about just dominating, that's a fairly hollow experience. But if sports is more in the idealistic sense about sportsmanship and fair play and just the challenge of everyone being on the same playing field, 
level playing field. Obviously, there's physical giftedness and all these things that comes in. But generally speaking, if your equipment is the same, more or less the same, if you're not taking performance-enhancing drugs, if you're not cutting the, the course short or something like that, then it becomes this just beautiful experience of humans trying to better themselves in this arena where there's this safe, understood norm that, hey, we don't cheat. Obviously, some people do, but it's like if sport in its purest form, in the idealistic sense of fair play, competition, uh, betterment, personal betterment, and, and just sportsmanship and camaraderie. And, and I also was thinking about in this, this year's Tour de France, uh, there's a stage when um, Jonas Vingago and Tajay Pogacar are descending like at super high speeds, basically trying to out-descend each other. And Pogacar crashes, and Vingago waits for him. And there's this classic photo now of Vingago reaching out his hand and Pogacar taking his hand, and that being like this epitome of sportsmanship. To me, that's what sports is all about. It's about that sportsmanship, that camaraderie, that competitiveness, where you don't play dirty. It's like you respect the fact that you got beat and you relish the fact that you win under a level playing field and circumstances. So I think that if athletes can pay more attention, if coaches can, if organizational bodies, governing bodies of sports can put out the message more of those ideals of sport coupled with, you know, doping controls and um, controls against cheating both of those together, I think, can be a bulwark against uh, cheating in sports. But I think really pumping out that positive message of, like I said, sportsmanship, bettering oneself, competition, um, all of these things that make sports just a really wonderful sort of artistic expression, I think that's the message we need to put out there. So that is my musings on this episode about the psychology of cheating in sports um, it's it can happen, and it is still happening, clearly, in some sports. I'd like to hope it's not, but um, my, radar, my radar is always on for that. Um, I don't fully trust what's going on. I'm still able to enjoy sports and then holding firm to those, those good ideals of sports. Tell me what you think about this episode. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I've had some conversations with people lately about cheating in sports and opinions on that. Um, what do you think? Do you think that uh, there should be more enforcement of it? Do you believe in the ideals that I mentioned in this episode about sportsmanship, etc.? Please let me know. I'd love to hear from you. This is Michael Seeley and the Sports Psychology Podcast on the psychology of cheating in sports. <laughs>